Have you ever had uh, someone in your life that you thought you could rely on them and they were somebody you could tell anything to, you could ask anything of them, um, you could trust what they said to you, and then you had a point in your life where that person who was reliable and trustworthy did something to break that trust. Maybe uh, you thought they had your back, but then you discovered they're, they've been talking behind your back, and so you're like, man, I can't trust them anymore. Or maybe you asked them to do something that was really important to you, and then they forgot to do it, or they just decided, you know, I, it's not worth my time, I decided to do something else instead. Or maybe you're, you're like, hey, they're, I need you to pick me up uh, at this certain time, and they didn't show up to pick you up. Or, you know, it's something that you relied on them, thought they would do it, but then they didn't follow through. Uh, or maybe uh, they said things to you, and you took those things to be true, and then later you found out uh, they were lying to you, or they were maybe skewing the truth a little bit. And then after that point, you weren't able to trust them as well. And there was a time when you trusted what they said was truth, where you trusted that they would do what they said they would do, and that when they said things, it could be relied upon, but then at some point, they did something that made the, that ground feel shaky. You used to be able to walk on it with confidence, you know, kind of like walking out on ice. It's like, is the ice thick enough? And if you know it's thick enough, you're gonna just walk with confidence, not be afraid, but now, every time they say something, you're like, is this, you know, is this gonna hold up? Is, are they telling me what's true? And much like a friend can be reliable, the Bible <coughs> can be reliable or not reliable to us. And I grew up uh, most of my life trusting that the Bible was reliable. When I was a kid, you know, we know that song, Jesus loves me, this I know. Why? Because the Bible tells me so. And so the Bible, you can rely on it, you can trust it. And that's how I grew up. Um, and even through four and a half years of college, which is when, yeah, four and a half years, you do the math, I was on the five-year plan. Four and a half years, uh, I was in college, well, five total, but four and a half years, I went through it, believing the Bible was this trustworthy, reliable friend. What it said, I could bank on it being the truth, and it, and promises being made um, would come true, and all of that. But then, in the spring semester of my final year, I took a class called New Testament and Early Christianity, and we used this textbook written by a scholar named Bart Ehrman. Has anybody heard of Bart Ehrman at all? Uh, Nick, me and Nick. Okay, Bart Ehrman, um, if you, for all of you who haven't heard of him, uh, he's a, he started off his life as a Christian, and at some point along that journey, decided or came to believe that the Bible isn't really reliable. And so this textbook we were going through was taking it seriously as history, but was kind of saying, well, you can't trust everything it says. You have to kind of weed out the parts that have been built up over time to find the really true parts. Who's the true Jesus, not the real Jesus of the Bible? And so according to him, there's many reasons we can't trust the Bible, and just to name a few, he said this, by the time people started writing down the stories of Jesus, the stories have been retold so many times that the details were getting changed and the picture we have in the Bible isn't an accurate picture of Jesus. And he also said, and if you look at what they wrote down, it's full of contradictions. They can't even get their story straight. And so how can you trust it? And he said what they wrote down was changed over time. Not only was the story changed by the time they wrote it down, but after they wrote it down, it got changed with, after all the times of being written down through the centuries. And he also said the early church um, chose which documents they wanted to include in the Bible. There's a whole bunch of options for portraits of Jesus that could be included. And so they, the church, he said, uh, chose which ones they wanted in there because they said the things that they wanted the, the Bible to say. And so you can't trust what's in there because there's all these other things that could be brought in as well. And I'd never heard anything like this before in my life. Uh, and I, and so it rattled me. It was, I was like, 
I don't know what to do with this. I don't have any answers to this. Is, is this thing I've based my life on um, even reliable? And I felt like I was in this boat and as we're going through this class, I'm having holes drilled in the bottom of the boat and I'm like slowly sinking and wondering what I should do. And for 22 years of my life, I was you know, 22 or 23 at this time, I saw the Bible as reliable and I was involved in a college ministry where I was convincing people to put their faith in Jesus based on what the Bible said. And Katie and I together went to Brazil and there we were talking to students and saying, believe in Jesus and turn to him. And we're basing it all on what the Bible said. And then even at the time of doing, while I was in this class, I'd been accepted to work full time in college ministry after graduation. And so I'm raising, thinking about how to raise finances for this thinking about giving my life full-time for a year or two to telling college students, you should believe in Jesus and helping them to walk with Jesus. And now I'm in this class that is making me question, is Jesus who I thought he was this whole time? Like, what do I, if the Bible, the, the, the records of the Bible aren't an accurate depiction of Jesus, well, who is he? And who am I to tell people that they should believe in him over other beliefs if I don't even know if any of this is true? And if the Bible, I felt, isn't reliable, then my faith rests on crumbly foundation. And perhaps you've had a similar experience. Maybe you've watched, I mean, I feel like they happen like every year. I, I don't have these channels, but I feel like I see them all the time, like a PBS or History Channel special where it's like who Jesus really was or what Christianity really is about. You know, where did all this come from? Or uh, sometimes in the checkout line, I feel like I see these once or twice a year, maybe around Easter or Christmas. You see in the checkout line on the magazine rack, uh, Time magazine that's you know got this artist depiction of Jesus on the cover and it's like the origins of Christianity the origins of the Bible or what was what's Christmas really about and then you read these things and you're gonna find a people saying like well you know the Bible like gives us some stuff um, but we have to piece it together from other things we have to get down to the kernel of historical truth you can't take it at its at its word or maybe you've talked um, to a friend or a stranger and they've made a statement about the Bible. Um, that you didn't know how to answer, and they didn't really trust them. It's like, well, you know, they make you know some offhanded comment that they maybe haven't even researched, but they're like, well, you know, that was, you know, the church just chose those things. There's a whole bunch of other portraits of Jesus. You know, why don't we believe those? And you're like, well, I, I don't know. I never <coughs> thought about that. And maybe it shook you or rattled you, or maybe at least you're wondering, um, well, it doesn't really rattle me that you asked that, but I don't know how to answer you. And so we can start wondering, can I trust the Bible? Is the Bible reliable? Um, and maybe even, I don't know, maybe in high school now it starts where um, a teacher or, or somebody talks about the Bible like it's a myth or a fairy tale. And Jesus, he's just kind of like a legend. And um, maybe he was a good guy, but certainly not this person that Christians think that they worship. And so here are some questions that people commonly ask. And I'll run through these and just think to yourself, you're not going to be able to write these down. If you want them afterwards, you can get them. But um, just think which of these you've heard. Isn't the Bible like a game of telephone and the message changed over time? You know, the telephone is when we played it. I remember like in second grade, like it's okay, one kid starts a message and they whisper it in the next kid's ear and then you pass it around the room and at the end you're like, okay, what, what was the message? And they say something like, you know, dogs spit like camels or something. I don't know, what, I just made that up right now, but uh, camels are very funny uh, animals. But anyway, and it's like, that's not what I said. I said bogs are like, jam or something like that and it's like ah you know the message shall change and then the the argument is that oh yes one person heard about jesus and they told another person about jesus and they told another person about jesus and they told and by the end of it it's like all of a sudden jesus is god and he walked on water and he died to save us from our sins when in fact he's just this normal dude that said some good things and 
that wasn't really what it was about. So that's the game of telephone. Um, aren't we just reading copies of copies and translations of translations? How can we trust a book that condones so many immoral and horrible things? Didn't people change the Bible to say what they wanted it to say? Weren't the people who compiled the Bible just making a political power play? Weren't the people in Jesus' day gullible? They believed all sorts of things we don't believe today. Why should we believe what they say about Jesus? Wasn't the picture of Jesus just exaggerated over time and he's only a legend? How can the Bible be accurate when there are so many contradictions? Weren't the gospel accounts of Jesus' life written way after the events? Other religions have sacred texts. Why should we trust the Bible over those? How can we believe a book that talks about miracles? Were the writers of the Bible even interested in historical accuracy? And uh, which, you know, just yell out, which of these have you heard before? Um, or is, is there one that I missed that you haven't heard? Which one have you heard um, that you've heard people say or on the news or something? All of them. All of them. <laughs> Tall tale, yeah, it's kind of the legend thing, yeah. Other religions. The other religions one. Yeah. Yeah, why not the Quran? Why not? Yeah. Science. Science, yeah, I didn't even say that one. Science has disproved it. You know. Yeah, well, I mean science contradicts the Bible, so how can it be true? Yeah, and reliable. Mm-hmm. Maybe those questions have caused your faith to feel weak and shaky, or maybe you just didn't know how to answer them. So hopefully tonight we can work on that. The bottom line is when the Bible says something about God, can we trust what it says is true? When it tells us promises from God, can we trust they will come about? And when the Bible tells us truths about how to have a relationship with God or be forgiven or saved, I mean, these are like eternal matters. When the Bible says this is how you can experience eternal life, this is how you can avoid God's judgment. Is it telling the truth? Or are we, you know, is it partially right and you have to piece it together or just throw it all together? And this evening, as we're continuing to explore God, we're tackling this question, is the Bible reliable? And there's no way to directly address all those questions I mentioned. Um, but there is one truth um, that you can use to feel like the Bible's reliable in the face of all those questions. And no matter what is asked, this one truth can help give you confidence. And for tonight's purposes, there's different ways we could look at it, you know, a spiritual perspective or a relational perspective with God. But we're going to look at it from a historical perspective because God invites us to. Uh, and the, one of the unique aspects of Christianity we mentioned a couple weeks ago is that it's rooted in history. <coughs> the Bible didn't float down from heaven to somebody, and now we just have to take their word for it. Um, that like, hey, this, Bible, this book, I was hanging out in the woods alone. Uh, this book floated down, and uh, now here it is from God. We don't have to, that's not how the Bible works. The Bible can be fact-checked. It records historical events and historical people and historical places. And it can be fact-checked by archaeology and other historical documents. <coughs> the Bible is its not just one book. People look at it as just this one book, but it's a, it has one divine author. That's true. But the Bible is really a library of 66 different books written by 40 different human authors across a 1,500-year time period. 66 different books, 40 different authors, 1,500 years. So it's not just this one book that came to us you know, from the church. The church wrote it or something. I mean, there wouldn't even be a church if we didn't have the Bible um, and the witness of uh, what it says. And across that 1,500-year time period, these authors claim to be writing the history of how God is interacting with us through real events and real people and real places. And there's one historical event that is especially significant, and our songs were themed around it. And if this ha event happened, then we can trust 
every book and every word in the Bible. And if this event happened, then the Bible is completely reliable. And this event is the resurrection of Jesus. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? All those questions we asked before can all be answered, or you don't have to let them bother you, because you can be like, I don't know the answer to that, but I know one thing. Jesus rose from the dead. That means I can trust this book. I may not have the answer to that question right now, um, but I know this truth. Three days after he's crucified, died and was buried. Did God raise Jesus from the dead? And if so, then we can completely trust the entire Bible. And here's why. Um, these aren't our big idea, but they support it. Uh, let's see, which one's first? This one. So there's two truths we're going to put on here. They're little if-then statements. Uh, if Jesus is alive, then he is who he said he was. If Jesus is alive, then he is who he said he was. And I don't have my whiteboard, so I don't have anywhere to put this, but I guess I'll just hold it. So if Jesus is alive, then he is who he said he was. If Jesus claimed to be one with God, he claimed to be the Son of God, he claimed to be God in the flesh, and he predicted his death, and he claimed that his death would be paying for the sins of everyone so he could be forgiven. And it's pretty easy to predict your death. I mean, we're all going to die. Um, and even he predicted the, the details of his death. But even that, I mean, he was kind of orchestrating it in some ways because he's marching up to Jerusalem, the capital, and he's getting everybody riled up. So, you know, hey, they're going to crucify me. Uh, and, I mean, that's pretty easy to predict if he's coming and doing the things that get somebody crucified. Like, how, it wouldn't be hard for me to predict, you know, my death by being hit by a car if I'm going to go walk out on the street. Like, that could, I could predict my death. Um, and it's pretty easy to do that. And, but claiming to be the savior of the world, and like we talked about last week, I'm the savior of the world, and I'm dying for everyone's sins. Those are the words of either a liar or a lunatic. Unless his second prediction also happened, which was, and I'm going to be raised from the dead afterwards. You know, so if you say, I'm going to die for your sins. Okay, weirdo, you're crazy. I'm going to be raised from the dead three days later. Okay, weirdo, still crazy. But then if he was raised from the dead, you would know he's telling the truth about what his death could do. So if he, it, it's only if he was raised from the dead that we should believe everything he said about who he is and what his death would do. His resurrection would prove he was telling the truth about all the rest of the things that he said. And so secondly, if he is who he said he was, then we can trust... Do the right side. I did. Okay. So if he is who he said he was, then we can trust the whole Bible. Why? Because Jesus trusted the Old Testament. When he talked about, hey, I'm coming to die um, for your sins, what did he say? He said, this is in fulfillment of the Old Testament. Jesus quoted the Old Testament as we have it now is the Old Testament that Jesus trusted and talked about and based his life on. Jesus relied upon the Old Testament. And if Jesus is God in the flesh, well, that makes him a pretty good authority on telling us uh, whether the Old Testament came from God or not, because it came from him. So he's a pretty good authority on that. But what about the New Testament? Well, Jesus told us that his, he told his original followers, his apostles, he said, your job is to be witnesses of everything you have seen. And it's not just, okay, well, maybe they got fuzzy memories. Uh, maybe they had a hard time remembering everything they saw, and everything Jesus talked about. Well, Jesus says, I'm going to send my spirit to help you remember everything that I said. And so all of the apostles who wrote the New Testament um, were all authorized by Jesus as eyewitnesses of his whole life, not his whole life, from his baptism to his resurrection. 
They're eyewitnesses of that. That was one of the qualifications if you look in Acts 1. They had to be with him from the baptism to his resurrection and ascension. And then he says, I'm going to be with you to help you remember what I have done. And if he's alive, he can control, uh, not you know, in like a robotic way, but he is able to guide along the process of the New Testament being created because it's like, okay, did Jesus, you know, we can have this really far off view of Jesus like got the ball rolling and then he kind of went off into heaven and then who knows, maybe the disciples got things wrong. Well, if he's alive, Jesus can take care of whether the New Testament is transmitted um, properly and accurately to say um, what he wants it to say. And so, I mean, bottom line is if we trust Jesus, we can trust the Bible because Jesus trusted the Old Testament and he said, I'm going to be governing over this process of the New Testament being created. But this all hinges on whether Jesus was really raised from the dead and whether he is really alive. <coughs> and so what reason do we have to believe Jesus is alive right now, today? Not like, you know, walking around like you might bump into him in Woodstock, like, oh, hey, you know, like this little surprise visit. But if Jesus is alive in heaven, reigning from heaven, and he sent his spirit um, to us to prove he's alive, um, what reason do we have to believe that? And he's not rotting in a tomb and that someday we might find a grave that says Jesus of Nazareth and there he is. I mean, that's the fact checking of Christianity. Um, if Je if so one day we find Jesus' tomb and there's bones in there, I mean, I don't know how you verify that Jesus is, but if one day you find Jesus' tomb and we're like, oh, there he is, there's his body. Christianity is over because it's all based on Jesus being alive. And so we aren't hearing reports of people being raised from the dead in the nightly news. So why should we believe reports of this guy being raised from the dead 2,000 years ago? And so here's the big idea for this evening. Jesus alive is the best reason for the New Testament's existence. The New Testament, starting with Gospel Matthew, going to Revelation. Um, Jesus alive is the best reason for the New Testament's existence. And I was originally going to say it's the best reason for the Bible's existence, but really the Old Testament existed without Jesus being raised from the dead. He just validated um, that it was, in fact, the word of God. And the New Testament is, uh, the Old Testament's predicting his coming. The New Testament is the aftermath of his coming. And so Jesus alive is the best reason for the New Testament's existence. In other words, we wouldn't be reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and First and Second Timothy, and First Corinthians, and Revelation, or any of the other books in the New Testament if Jesus was still dead. Because he would just be a failed Jewish Messiah, who would have nothing to do with our lives. Totally irrelevant. There's other failed Jewish messiahs. I'm sure you don't know any of their names. Uh, Simon Bar Kokhba. I don't ever heard of him. <laughs> He's a guy who tried to raise this revolution against Rome, and he failed and died. And was <coughs> None of us have heard of him, because he doesn't matter to us. But because Jesus is alive, um, he's the Jewish Messiah for real, now we know about him. And the only reason uh, we know about him is because he's alive. And explore this big idea. You could flip to Luke. We read Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 49, on page 885 of the Bibles we have here. Luke 24, verses 36 through 49. And here we get front row seats to Jesus' disciples, seeing him alive again for the first time. And we need to get into their mindset, because these men and women thought that Jesus was their Messiah, the Christ. And to them, that meant Jesus was going to lead them in a military victory against the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire had taken their land and had disrespected their way of life. And now their hope was, as they read the Old Testament scriptures, one day God is going to send a king to give us our land back, to give us our way of life back, to give us freedom, just like he did back in Moses' day when 
Moses led them out of Exodus, or in the Exodus, out of slavery in Egypt. Their hope was in God's promise to send this king. That's how they understood the Old Testament. And then what happened? Well, Jesus marches into Jerusalem, the capital, at one of the most busy times, one of the most busy festivals, Passover, and he confronts the corruption of the religious leaders in the temple, which is what they believed the Messiah would do, according to the Old Testament. But as the week went on, things get downhill. Because um, Jesus says, guess what? One of you is going to betray me. Uh, there's 12 of them. And so, I mean, can you imagine, you know, us, hey, one of you guys is going to betray me, and we're all going to be looking around. And what's going to happen is I'm going to be handed over to the Jewish authorities, and then the Jewish authorities are going to hand me over to the Romans, and the Romans are going to crucify me, and I'm going to die. And then it happens. One of them betrays him, and he gets handed over to the Jewish authorities. Jewish authorities hand him over to the Romans, and the Romans crucify him, and he dies. But how does this work? How is he going to liberate them from the Romans if he's killed by the Romans? How can a dead Messiah do what they were hoping that he would do? He's supposed to defeat them. And it all happened as Jesus said. And they thought Jesus might be the one to fulfill the prophecies. But then that doesn't turn out to be the case for in their minds. And now we join them huddled in that upper room in Jerusalem. Their leader is dead. Their hope is dead. They're grieving and confused, and they're scared that they're going to be killed just like their leader was killed because if he was killed because he was a rebel of Rome, well, what difference are we? We were all following him and thought he was actually going to overthrow Rome. And some women have reported to them that they found Jesus' tomb empty and that there's an angel saying, hey, Jesus is alive. Why are you looking for him here? And they take it as nonsense. I mean, wouldn't that sound like nonsense to you uh, if you're hanging out here and you, I died or so, I don't know, maybe you wouldn't be here if I died, but uh, I died, and then somebody's like, hey, guess what? Mitch's grave is dug up, and there's an angel there. You'd be like, okay, sounds like nonsense. Like, we were all thinking it sounds like nonsense. But then something happened that none of them expected. Jesus himself stood among them. Jesus whom they saw crucified. Jesus whom they saw died. Jesus whom they saw wrapped for burial. Jesus whom they saw laid in the tomb. Jesus who was dead, dead, decomposing, no heartbeat, no pulse. If you had an EKG, there's no little blips. It's just flat lining. He's got no brain waves. He's a corpse, buried, rotten, decomposing, gone, dead. That Jesus, dead, gone, and buried Jesus, was then standing among them. And that fact forever changed them. Forever changed not only their lives, but their beliefs. But it took some convincing. And it's very easy for us. I mean, we kind of look back and it's like, you know, all those people way back then, they're kind of gullible, they'll believe anything. But it takes a lot to convince them that Jesus is raised from the dead. Um, and so you can see it. The hearing about the empty tomb doesn't convince them that Jesus is alive. Um, because there's other explanations for that. Maybe the women went to the wrong tomb. Maybe there's grave robbers who were like, yeah, we want to steal his body. And there's a bunch of explanations for why the tomb would be empty. And then hearing there's an angel at the tomb telling them Jesus is alive, that doesn't convince them either. They're not like, okay. We, we, buy it, we buy it, yeah, Jesus must be alive. Um, that doesn't convince them because there's a lot of different explanations for that. Maybe uh, the ladies who they thought they saw an angel, but really they're just you know, grief-stricken. I mean, wouldn't we all be kind of like in this maybe delirious state where it's like, man, the person I just put all my hopes in is dead, or maybe they're just mistaken. They didn't quite see what they thought they were seeing. And dead people, they know, don't come back to life. It all sounds like nonsense to them. And upon hearing these reports, they don't conclude, oh, the tomb is empty. Jesus must be alive. You know, they're not just like waiting to, to be like, yay, resurrection. They're all like, it's done. 
this is gone. This is over. And they're uh, just about to go home. Yes, they believe God would raise people from the dead, uh, but they didn't believe that one person would be raised from the dead in the middle of history. They believed that everyone would be raised from the dead at the end of history. And so this was, you know, completely foreign to them. And now here's dead Jesus saying hi to them. Uh, that doesn't convince them either because they have categories for seeing people after they've died. They're called spirits. And so they're not like, oh, Jesus, you're resurrected. They're, they thought they saw a spirit. And verse 37 tells us this. They were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. So Jesus says in verse 39, Luke chapter 24, See my hands and my feet, that is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? He gave them a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Spirits can't be touched. Spirits can't be fed lunch. Jesus proves he isn't a spirit. Then Jesus explains, this is all to fulfill the Old Testament. It's just like God said. And here, I mean, Jesus is affirming the Old Testament as we have it. And he's saying, this, you know, that's all from God. I'm from God. Here's how I fulfilled it. And then verse 45, he says this. It says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. <coughs> repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. So they're sent as witnesses to tell others what they've seen and heard. The New Testament is a written record of their eyewitness testimony. And this, if this event didn't happen, they would have all gone back to their day jobs. Show's over, guys. Let's go back to fishing or tax collecting or whatever they were doing. But this moment radically changed their lives, and this moment radically changed their beliefs. And it's really, if you think about it, it's really hard to change someone's beliefs. Um, you know, think about the four G's we've been doing. God is great, so I don't have to be in control. All of us already say we believe that. And yet, how hard is it for us to change the belief that I need to be in control? Even though we're already convinced God is great, so I don't have to be in control. We have such a hard time changing that belief, even though we're bought into it. But then there's another level, uh, because maybe you have friends or family um, or coworkers or people that you've been telling about Jesus and they have beliefs opposite of it. You maybe been saying it for years. Maybe you've had hour-long conversations with them over and over again, and yet they still hold the same beliefs. It's very hard to change someone's beliefs. And that's people who are living in a country um, where they actually have a sense of what who Jesus is, maybe not the true picture, but they've heard of Jesus, they've heard of the Bible, there's churches, people, there's a general belief in God, and so you're working from a foundation there. But then sometimes missionaries you know, go to country where the beliefs are completely different like a Hindu country and they've worked tirelessly for years and years and it may take that long or maybe it, I don't know how long a decade or something for some for it to click for somebody to be like wait so there's one God you know all these bushes and animals they're not like gods you know it's like a whole different belief system um, and so it's very hard to change someone's beliefs and it's but these men and women change their beliefs overnight and so here's four ways they, they change their beliefs and their lives in a radically different way. And so first, a new belief about resurrection. New belief about resurrection. New belief about resurrection. Many Jewish people, as I said, believe there would be a resurrection of everyone at the end of history. Uh, but now they start telling people someone has been resurrected. One person, not everybody, will all be resurrected later. But this one person has been resurrected in the middle of history and uh, we all have look, 
forward to our own. So they changed their beliefs, and their beliefs of a resurrection weren't central. It wasn't a central thing. It was like, okay, yeah, there's going to be a resurrection. But now all of a sudden it's central. Like, we're always talking about it. In the New Testament, you read it, they're always talking about resurrection, Jesus and ours. But that's speaking for Jewish people who actually believe in the resurrection. Non-Jewish people or Gentiles, they didn't believe in resurrection. But suddenly they're hearing this news from these Jewish, I mean, imagine this, like these Jewish people who had their own different religion compared to, uh, well, they have pagan beliefs, which is sometimes sounds negative and derogatory, but just <coughs> they believe in multiple gods. And now they have this Jewish group of people coming and saying, hey, our Messiah has come. Uh, he's died for our sins. This has implications for everybody. He's actually raised from the dead, and he's new, the new king. And then suddenly, these pagan people who don't have beliefs in resurrection are suddenly believing in resurrection. So they change their beliefs in a dramatic way. And second, so new belief about resurrection, new belief about God. New belief about God. Jewish people believe there's one God, and he is not a man. There's a creator, and there's creation. Men are creation. And so God is not a man. He is separate from his creation. And now this band of Jesus' disciples who are extremely committed to there's one God and he's the creator of all. He's separate from his creation. And you don't worship creation because that's called idolatry. Now we're saying Jesus, the God whom we've trusted and worshipped and revered our entire lives, we now saw him in the person of Jesus as a man. And what would it take to convince you that a man that you'd seen do all the normal things that men do, like going to the bathroom and maybe even snoring next to you while you sleep, was actually the God that you've worshipped your whole life in the flesh? And all of a sudden these guys are saying that this thing that would be blasphemy is totally against all their beliefs. Now they're worshipping a man as, as God in the flesh. And for non-Jewish people, they believe in this whole pantheon of gods. And now they're hearing this message about Jesus, and they're saying, now we believe in one God. We're rejecting all these other gods that were our options, and these are just totally changing their beliefs at hearing this. And third, they had a new belief about the Messiah. New belief about the Messiah. Jews believed the Messiah would come in glory to defeat their human oppressors. Instead, they're not believing in this suffering Messiah who died for their sins. They had to go back and read the, whole te the Old Testament in a new way, they hadn't before and so they're just holding on to like this guy's going to come he's going to be a king it's going to be awesome he's going to overthrow these guys nothing will stop him and all of a sudden they're saying this guy that died on a cross shamefully by the hands of the people he's supposed to overthrow is actually the messiah they like completely changed their beliefs and lastly both jews and non-jews um, they risked their lives uh, by calling jesus lord son of god and savior they risked their lives by calling Jesus Lord, Son of God, and Savior. Risked their lives by calling Jesus Lord, Son of God, and Savior. In the Roman Empire, there's one guy, one person who's called Lord, Son of God, and Savior. And that's Caesar, the emperor of the Roman Empire. And so calling somebody else that, that's treason. That'll get you killed. That'll get you killed the same way Jesus got killed as a rebel against the Roman Empire. Because if you remember, that was the false charges. Jewish that were brought against him by the religious leaders, saying he's claiming to be a king. And so he's thwarting Caesar. You, that's what you do to rebels. You've got to crucify him. And so now these people are calling Jesus Lord, Son of God, and Savior. And these were these you know, big, powerful, mighty titles given to Caesar uh, so that he, people were honoring him and revering him. 
And so to say that about somebody else was risking their lives. They're saying we're following a different king other than the Roman emperor. And if you're a Christian, these are all beliefs that we take for granted because we've been reading the New Testament um, much of our lives. You hear the New Testament here on Sundays, and it's like we can take all this for granted. But the men who wrote the New Testament would have never written what they wrote if it wasn't for this event that completely changed their beliefs and their lives. The only reason they wrote what they did in the New Testament is because they're convinced Jesus is alive, and they reoriented their beliefs and their lives around it. And Jesus, we wouldn't have the New Testament. The New Testament would not exist. The things that they, maybe they, these guys would have, I mean, it's very unlikely because they were fishermen and people that didn't know how to write or read, and they're getting scribes to read or to write for them. They wouldn't have written the things they wrote in the New Testament if they, <coughs> these aren't Jewish beliefs, the things that they write. Jew, Jews are still waiting. People who don't believe in the Messiah are still waiting for the Messiah to come. They reject Jesus. They don't write the things that you see in the New Testament. These guys had their beliefs completely changed. And I think what is instructive for us is that each of us, each of you can have the same experience with Jesus as these people in the Bible had. Because Jesus is alive. He's inviting us to follow him and to know him, to walk with him, to join him in what he's doing in the world. It's interesting if you look at the book of Acts, the very beginning of it, it says, uh, and here's the record of what Jesus continued to do. He's dead and raised in, in heaven uh, and seated at the right hand of God. And now it's here's what Jesus continued to do through the church, through being present in the church. It's not that he's left us and, you know, hey, I got the ball rolling. You guys finish. No, everything we do in his name is what Jesus is continuing to do. He's inviting us into a bigger and better story than the one we're living now. That's what he was doing with people. I've got good news for you. The, the world's changing. I'm bringing a new kingdom. That's a kingdom defined by love. And I'm the you know, perfect example of it. And I'm inviting you into it by my sacrifice for you. And we so often uh, <coughs> want life to stay as it is rather than risking it for him. We squeeze Jesus into our life where he fits, where it's comfortable, and where it's convenient. And we like to kind of box him up. But if Jesus is alive, he cannot fit into a comfortable religious time slot on Sundays at 5 p.m. or on Fridays at 6 p.m. or whenever it is that we're fitting our religious life in he can't be squeezed into that boom he's the box crusher that's right there's if you look at the greek it really says but no uh, it doesn't say but problem is we still live as if jesus is still in the tomb and he's still dead and i think the aliveness or deadness of our faith is directly connected to how alive or dead we think jesus is right now if you feel that your faith is lifeless, dead, and cold, then you probably believe Jesus is lifeless and dead and cold in a tomb. And he's not here right now, present, alive, walking with you, present with you, um, able to help you, able to do all the things that you read about in the gospel accounts. And sometimes um, we read the Bible and it's like, man, wouldn't it be cool if that happened today? If only Jesus was with us alive today. Well, he is. He was raised from the dead. He's just alive then as he is now. And if you're like me, you know, I read the Bible, and it's easy to read it as events that happened a long, long time ago in a place far, far away. I mean, it's almost like watching a Star Wars movie a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And it's like it's just this foreign thing. Like, he, Jesus is just as real as the Force. And, I can, you know, sometimes it's easy to look at it that way. Like, movies can almost be more real to us than reading the Bible. And it 
directly connects to how alive we think he is. And it's true that it did happen a long time ago in a place far away. But the same Jesus who did those things a long time ago in a place far away is alive today. And that means that we can know him and experience him today, right now. And if Jesus was still in the ground, these men who wrote the New Testament wouldn't have written the New Testament. They'd have just gone home, back to doing what they're doing. And uh, But they, their whole lives, all their beliefs change. And we need to live in light of that news too. They see that Jesus is alive, they're convinced of it, and they start living differently. And Jesus taught his disciples that people are going to have trouble living in light of this good news. And so consider whether one of these is you. Uh, first, some people, Jesus said, would be hard to the news. And it wouldn't penetrate their heart at all. They would simply hear to the fairy tale and dismiss it as not true. I'm, not, I'm guessing none of you are that because I know all of you. Second, he said some people would hear the news and start to live in light of it. But then the cares of this world would choke it out like thorns and it would just die and choke. They would get too hung up on money and success and stuff and having too much of it or too little of it. I just need more of it or I just, you know, I'm always scarce and I just never have enough of it. And so is that you? Do the cares of this world keep you from following Jesus and living in light of him being alive? And we're going to care most about something. And if Jesus is alive, we should care most about him and what he's asking us to do. And third, he said some would hear the news, start to live in light of it, then other people's opinions would wither their belief. And so the other one was uh, the cares of this world would choke, out, choke it out like thorns and thistles, and the third is that people's opinions would wither their belief. And isn't it easy to let what other people think of us determine how strongly we believe something or whether we believe something or how we act? And maybe we'd like to keep our beliefs about Jesus quiet and private and reserved because we're afraid of how people will react to them. And so we reserve those beliefs for when we're doing religious things around other religious people. Uh, when we're around people who aren't, don't share our beliefs, we just act just like them. We just blend in with the crowd. And if Jesus is alive, his opinion of us should matter the most. We're all going to live for someone. And if we're living for the opinions and their approval and respect of others, then we're not living for the, the living Jesus. And when people, and when I think about these, when people ask me questions about Jesus or God, I can easily feel afraid that I'm going to offend them uh, or that I need to like give them the right answer. <coughs> and it's less, in those situations, it's less about, uh, am I going to give the right answer, or am I afraid of their opinion? It's not about spiritual answers or spiritual principles, but it's about introducing them to the person who's actually alive. And how do you talk about someone who's alive and present? Um, I heard somebody say a couple weeks back at a conference that one of the things that uh, we can so easily do is talk about God as if he isn't actually here. Talk about Jesus as if he isn't actually here. Instead, Jesus is alive, um, he's walking with us, present with us, and, and guiding us. If I believe Jesus is alive and with me, I can introduce people to him. And I can care about what he cares about rather than, you know, it's kind of like who's the biggest in our life. And usually people feel the biggest. Oh, they're scary. I need their opinion, I need their approval. What are they going to think? And Jesus is like this, well, he's, he's far off, distant. Um, he lived a long, long time ago in a place far, far away. So, you know, he's way out there. But it's like, well, what if Jesus is right here, and this person um, is much smaller to me than, uh, than Jesus is right now? So take a moment and write down which hinders you from living in light of the news that Jesus is alive. Is your heart hard, believing it's true? 
are the cares of money, success, and stuff choking it out? Or does the opinion of others cause your belief to wither? So hard heart, cares of the world, or opinion of others. Jesus is alive and living in light of it keeps us from playing church and going through the motions. It keeps us from being a dead church and living dead Christianity. Because what if we showed up at all of our worship gatherings expectant that we're going to encounter and experience the living Jesus because he's really alive. Like, Do we gather for our worship gatherings as if Jesus isn't here? I mean, it's easy for me to, that, to do that and I'm sure it's easy for you to do that as well. What if when we meet in our gospel fluency groups, we have this expectation, <coughs> I'm going to encounter Jesus tonight because I'm going to be opening up his word. I'm going to be praying with other believers. Jesus' spirit is alive in them, and I'm going to submit to what they say because Jesus can speak to me through them. What if when we gather as a gospel community and we talk about going on mission in Woodstock or Hampshire or McHenry County or whatever it is, um, what if we were saying, you know, actually Jesus is going before me in this, and Jesus is going with me, and just like Jesus was living on mission to bring God's kingdom back in what we read in the, in the Bible times, he's doing that today because he's alive and he's on the same mission and has the same agenda and has the same desires for us. When we read about the early disciples following Jesus in the Bible, to me I think it sometimes sounds like this adventure. Maybe I hope I'm not alone in that. And everyone's like, wow, nerd, Bible nerd. But hopefully you all look at it and see like, wow, it sounds kind of like an adventure, hanging out with Jesus every day, uh, talking with him, watching him do miracles, telling him other people about the good news of God's kingdom and people having their lives radically changed and seeing uh, healings and all these, this crazy stuff happening and witnessing people give their life to him. And I can think to myself, well, uh, if only Jesus was alive and with me and I could see him and be with him, then man, maybe my life would be like that today. And it's, the truth is Jesus is alive and he He's doing the same stuff that he did then. And it's whether we're wanting to walk with him and follow him into it. And if Jesus is alive, he's calling us into that same adventure today. And he's calling each of us and all of us as a community um, to follow him together. Let's pray. Father, thanks uh, for this great reassurance of these <coughs> lives from these men, these women who were following Jesus then. And would you let the truth that Jesus is alive change us today? Thank you, Lord, for being present with us in this time, that we did not come here just to meet as a bunch of people sitting around um, and playing church, but we actually came here, uh, and you are present with us. So thank you for being here. In your son's name we pray. Amen.